Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Justice. But I will say we are not powerless in this situation. We're not going to cede our rights that easily, despite the best efforts of the politicized Supreme Court of the United States of America. We have the power of the pen, and I just want to read some language here. Apparently, the Supreme Court has now decided with this far-reaching decision that the two-step standard that had been in place since Heller versus McDonald, where they analyze the Second Amendment, where it combines history, we have a history, yes we do, but also means and scrutiny. Does the means of the restriction justify the infringement? And most people would say, yes, we have a right to protect people from gun violence. But in doing so, you take away people's rights. And what the Supreme Court said in the Bruin decision is no. The Second Amendment and the 14th Amendment engage a protection of those rights, and those rights exist in the home, outside of the home. Those rights cannot be burdened by the state saying you have to prove your rights, because once you have to prove you have a right, it no longer is. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is good to be with you. 833, got Tony is the number, 833-468-8669. It wasn't the Roe v. Wade decision today, but it is tremendously important. The New York Bruin case, B-R-U-E-N, 6-3 decision with Justice Clarence Thomas writing the opinion. Historical analysis can sometimes be difficult and nuanced, but reliance on history to inform the meaning of constitutional text is more legitimate and more administrable, administrable, I should say, than asking judges to make difficult empirical judgments about the costs and benefits of firearms restrictions, especially given their lack of expertise in the field. Clarence Thomas laying it bare. In a 63-page opinion, 130-some-odd pages altogether, 63 pages of walking through historical context. Guy Relford joins us right now, just off doing some fill-in radio work. The 2aproject.com and, of course, the host of The Gun Guy Show, Saturdays 5 to 7 p.m. on 93.1 FM WIBC. And before we get into some specifics here, just an overall, how do you feel about this decision? Um, I love the decision. It's really what we expected Tony, looking at the constituency of the court, um, and particularly after the oral arguments, I mean, a lot of times people caution against drawing too many inferences from oral argument, but it was very one-sided, and you could pretty much count votes, I think, after oral arguments. Um, So it was exactly what we expected. Um, As you mentioned, I've been on the radio all morning, so I'm really looking forward to to going through word by word this entire opinion and the dissents and and, and really deciding exactly how far-reaching this is beyond... Uh, holding unconstitutional the law in New York and, by implication, the law in eight other states that requires uh, some special need above the the mere desire to protect yourself and your family in order to carry a handgun in public. Uh, Nine states, including New York, have those laws now, and uh, they should all uh, fall by the wayside as a result of this decision. There's a lot here that makes you wonder exactly how states 
will need to change. Now, what you heard there was Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, and I'll get back to some of her words in a second. But first, maybe a, a bit of a definition. This case, New York uh, New York versus Bruin, or was it Bruin versus New York? I never remember. This was, was um, about the idea of who can get the ability to carry a firearm. Break down what this case was about and what the larger argument is. Well, the the states, um, in terms of handgun licensing, because all 50 states and District of Columbia all have some licensing now, and, and several of them, Illinois and D.C. included, had to be ordered by the courts to license um, their own citizens uh, to carry a handgun in public. But there's really two systems. There's may issue and there's shall issue. Uh, Indiana, for instance, uh, and set constitutional carry aside, we've had a shall issue system since 1980, when the courts, by the way, compelled us uh, to do so in a a very similar decision to what we saw come from the Supreme Court today. But a may issue system means that there is some government official, and it could be a county sheriff, it could be someone in the state police, uh, but some government official has discretion to assess whether you have a sufficient need to carry a handgun in public that warrants the issuance of a handgun license to you. And this is not merely a general need or desire of a member of the public to keep themselves and their family safe in public. It's a special need above and beyond the general need to defend yourself. Um, so I have to show some active threat against me. Uh, I've been a recurrent victim of, uh, of robberies on the street because I you know, carry you know, jewels to and from my jewelry store. Who knows what? But I have to show some particularized exceptional need beyond the general public to defend myself before I get a license under this New York system. That's a May issue system. And the court correctly said that when a government official can scratch his chin and say, "Mm, no, you don't have a particular need to exercise a constitutionally protected right, then it's no longer a right. It's a government-granted privilege, and that's not allowable under the Second Amendment or the Constitution generally. Now, one of the things that was said by Justice Alito, in, and not Justice Alito, Justice Thomas, uh, Clarence Thomas, in his, uh, in his opinion, uh, that the, uh, the states, including New York, that had to use proper cause requirements may continue to require licenses for carrying handguns for self-defense so long as those states employ objective licensing requirements like those used by the 43 shall-issue states. That's that's Thomas saying this is the way it works. Please don't bring it back to us again. Exactly right. And and they, and they can have again to to his point a licensing system like Indiana does and has for a long time. In other words, you, you don't get a license if you're a felon. You don't get a license if you've been adjudicated to be mentally ill. You don't get a license if you're a convicted domestic batterer, even as a misdemeanor. Um, so you can have those object, objective criteria, but you know, assessing need to exercise a right, that's not objective. That's discretionary uh, on the government's part. That's not allowable. Talking to Guy Relford, constitutional, Second Amendment, I should say, Second Amendment uh, lawyer, RelfordLaw.com, and the founder of the 2Aproject.com. Let me give you a little bit more of Governor Hochul here, because there's something very specific that she says, the governor of New York, where this took place, that I want you to hear. Listen. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. That they have taken away our right to have reasonable restrictions. We can have restrictions on speech. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater, but somehow there's no restrictions allowed on the Second Amendment. This is New York. 
We don't back down, we fight back. And we'll be alerting the public, the media, in the very short term, exactly what our language that we've been analyzing, we have language we'd like to now enact into law. We'll be sharing that with the leaders. And I'm sorry this dark day has come. They were supposed to go back to what was in place since 1788 when the Constitution of the United States of America was ratified. And I would like to point out to the Supreme Court justices that the only weapons at the time were muskets. I'm prepared to go back to muskets. I don't think they envision the high-capacity assault weapon magazines intended for battlefields as being covered from it, but I guess we're just going to have to disagree. Now, it was Justice Alito, in a response to the dissent Guy Relford, who specifically addressed this issue and said that the the Second Amendment says the right to keep and bear arms, not arms of the 18th century, thus taking this Kathy Hochul, Governor Hochul argument, the argument of so many on the anti-gun side, well, they meant muskets, and just ripping it asunder. The New York's going to come back, though. New York is going to pass legislation. We are going to have this fight again. Oh, yeah, and we've been down this road before. This all happened in exactly the same way in District of Columbia um, because in the original Heller decision, you know, it came out and said you can't have a total ban on handgun licenses. And so, the, the, and, 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 and so they, they removed the total ban, but they took, put such unreasonable restrictions on them um, that we had to go back. And that's why we had Heller 2 and Heller 3. Uh, and then on the licensing outside the home, um, they had some training requirement that was completely unreasonable and expensive and burdensome, and we had to go back, and we fought it again. That's what New York's going to do. Um, they're going to go kicking and screaming, but they're going to lose uh, the, the, the war um, as well as many additional battles on this point because the Supreme Court is going to continue to rule as they did um, in previous uh, cases, including in Illinois. Um, that was at the Court of Appeals level, also at the Court of Appeals level in D.C. We fought this battle before. Um, she's going she's gonna to lose at the end of the day and, and simply cost the taxpayers in New York a whole bunch of money in the process. I don't think she cares if she costs taxpayers <laughs> in New York a whole bunch of money in the process. Now let's see where this uh, plays out. You've been paying attention, of course, to the U.S. Senate, uh, supposedly uh, a deal on guns. You have 14 Republicans who went forward with this. John Corner of Texas, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, Todd Young right here uh, in, in our beloved Indiana uh, going uh, forward with this. Oh, boyfriend loophole conversations, uh, utilizing dollars to help states expand uh, red flag laws. Does anything within this decision today, this 6-3 decision from the court, to say that you can't have a two-pronged test uh, for giving people the right to keep and bear arms, You have, as long as they can pass a background check, you have to be the one who issues them the opportunity and the ability to do so. Uh, is there anything within that legislation being discussed by the Senate that gets changed or becomes obsolete or problematic because of this decision? I don't think so, Tony. It's a great question. Um, I think the most likely impact, um, if this bill is, goes forward and is passed into law, is going to be when states adopt uh, a particular red flag law, as, as they're being incentivized to do or, or some funding is being provided to help them do, 
um, through this legislation, um, then the, 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 the actual composition of those laws that they may pass restricting rights or allowing seizures, um, those may be molded to some degree by the language of this opinion, but that's pretty abstract and that's down the road. I, I don't think anything um, is uh, going to be directly influenced. Uh, and by the way, I ha you mentioned Senator Todd Young. I had a long discussion with Senator Young last night. He called me and, and wanted my input because I had expressed some dissatisfaction with his vote to, to proceed past debate and, and allow a vote. Um, and he immediately called me and we had a long discussion and he's, 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 he's laboring over his decision. And I think there's at least some possibility that even though he voted to advance it beyond debate, um, he, he, he may be fighting to either change what we've seen in the latest draft um, or may not support it on the floor. I, that's not a prediction, and he certainly said no such thing. But I think it's a very tough decision for him. So I, I would expect— So you don't know if he's all of a sudden a no vote, no. even though he allowed the, the debate to continue? No, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I would not say that in a million years, and he didn't say that to me. But it was, it was interesting to me and very much appreciated by me that he reached out and he wanted information on the boyfriend loophole, on red flag loss. He wanted more detailed information from me on that. And we had a, we had a long conversation and it was, it was great that he was seeking the dialogue and, and it told me he's still in information gathering mode, which means uh, at least it's an open question what his final vote on the floor will be. Let's go back to this uh, decision here uh, in, in Bruin. Uh, B-R-U-E-N. Uh, one of the conversations here from uh, Justice Thomas is that there still could be restrictions on firearms in what can be described as, and I'm quoting here, sensitive spaces. Mm -hmm. So the conversation of government buildings and the conversation of schools. There's an argument that uh, that could mean that you could uh, try and expand a sensitive space, but uh, Thomas discusses this. You can't decide that the island of Manhattan, talking in, in the New York conversation, is a sensitive space because because a lot of people live there. Is there a, a legal framework on this concept of sensitive spaces? And do you predict there are going to be a lot of challenges to what that becomes to try and implement more gun laws? Yeah, I think that's where states are going to go. Um, and that's why uh, Justice Thomas uh, was was so prescient in 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 using that language to preempt, you know, that attempt to declare the whole island of Manhattan, for instance, as a sensitive place. But I think I think that is where folks are going to go. And no, to answer your, your, your question directly, we don't have any direct definitions of what's allowable and what's not. And, and states dra uh, vary dramatically, state to state, on, on, on those rules. Um, some states, for instance, say you can't carry a gun uh, in a sports stadium. It's illegal. Uh, Indiana has no such law, even though um, sports teams themselves can prohibit firearms. Uh, it doesn't make it a crime to carry there. Movie theaters, some states say it's a crime to carry in a movie theater. No such, no such law in Indiana. So there's a lot of discretion that's been allowed and thus far on states defining what's a sensitive place beyond schools and, and courtrooms. Um, and I think that's, that's where you'll go in response to some of this uh, exactly. And I think we'll have more litigation on that issue as well. And we may come out with some kind of a definitional test to say, okay, you can, you can define this as a sensitive place based on some objective criteria and not you know, every place you want to simply because you're trying to restrict the Second Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens. Before I let you go, Guy O'Relford, the 2aproject.com. Uh, uh, let me bring it to a, an Indiana 
conversation, Mm -hmm. which has been the conversation of constitutional carry, which was signed into law by Governor Holcomb. And it was a question here, which is kind of stunning. And you've heard people say that by having constitutional carry and not having to have a permit, you're making it easier on criminals and we need to have these permits. There's been this whole uh, conversation. Does this Bruin decision now render the the creation of the law here in indiana of constitutional carry uh prescient meaning uh this is clearly the way we're going that the second amendment the 14th amendment give you the right to keep and bear arms and that the entirety of the permitting conversation is one that's that's up for debate or is there still a a worthy legal framework somewhere for some states to say no we want the permits um, yeah, I mean, because of the language that you quoted out of the Thomas decision, um, that you know, they, they, there can be still be licensing requirements and based on objective criteria, and that and that means it's a shall issue system. That is, unless you're disqualified, you get a license. Um, so, so I don't think it casts any doubt on licensing as a whole. Um, and but but was interesting, you know, looking back over the debate on constitutional carry. We had people get up and, and testify uh, against constitutional carry at the same hearing where I was there to testify in favor of it. And they come up and they say, well, we don't know why they even call this constitutional carry, because there is no constitutional right to bear arms outside the home. And uh, and even there was a particular IU law professor who um, is aligned with Moms Demand Action, and she always begins every one uh, of her uh, testimonies uh, before hearings with, with that premise, and and she'll she'll quote these court of appeals decisions um, at the, in the lower courts before today's decision in support for that. Well, that argument's gone away. Uh, there is a right to carry outside the home. I don't have to listen to that dribble anymore. Um, and uh, and it, it does make what we did on constitutional carry that much more supported because we named it constitutional carry because the Constitution gives you and me and every other law-abiding citizen the right to carry outside the home. Um, so the Constitution says I can carry outside the home. I shouldn't need a license in addition to that. At the same time, we've always said that there's nothing unconstitutional about an objectively based shall issue system like Indiana has. Right. So I've made the point multiple times in hearings to say, I'm not telling you telling you you have to pass constitutional carry, General Assembly, uh, in order to be constitutional. I'm telling you that as a matter of policy, you should choose to. And that's where we are now across the country. Guy Relford, the 2A Project.com, RelfordLaw.com. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we're going to have more uh, on uh, this as the days and weeks go forward. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.